Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that our discussion of predestination went a little bit long, and so we've decided to include our spoilers at the end of the show. So if you've watched Predestination and you want to hear our thoughts on the full plot, all the spoilers, stay tuned until after the show, and that's where they'll be. Thanks, guys. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Screeners Podcast. I'm Melody. This is Chad. I'm Chris. And I'm Josh. And we're back again to talk all things media. So before we get into our episode tonight, we just want to let you guys know that we would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments or anything that you want us to talk about on the show, definitely contact us. You can go to our website, which is ScreenersPodcast.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Screeners Podcast. So with that out of the way, let's get into Jump Cuts. All right, so our first segment is Jump Cuts, and this is a segment where we each bring a question to each other, and we have 60 seconds in which to answer the question. If we go over the time limit, you will hear this sound. So let's get right into Jump Cuts. Okay, guys, I have the first Jump Cuts question, and I'm very excited to bring it to your attention and get your feedback on this. We have just been informed that The X-Files is coming back to TV for a six-episode run. Not sure on the release date on it yet, but it's coming soon to Fox. So my question is, how do you feel about this? Chad, let's start with you. Well, I am probably going to be the guy on this show that is going to be the least excited about this, maybe even less than Josh, if that's possible. Although, I don't know. Josh may love it. I was just never a big X-Files fan. I I don't think I ever watched the television show. I did watch the features when they came out. You watched the television show? I never did, which is strange. I I don't really know why I never watched the television show, because I would think that it would be tailor-made for me. Maybe it just felt it. I don't know. Because don't you're know. not interested in the truth. Wake up. That's it. And I don't know. I don't remember why I didn't watch it, but I never did. So, no, I guess the answer this is super short, but no, I'm not super excited. But maybe well, it's, then is we it don't on, care about your opinion. Is it on Netflix or something oh, where maybe I yes. can catch up? It, oh, yes. Absolutely. It's on Netflix. Right, and so. you should. Okay. Well, you there should. you go. Maybe you I will. All right. Sorry, nerd fans. All right. I didn't mean to let you down. <laughs> you're dumb. That was a terrible start. Uh, Chris. <laughs> you're, hey, you're welcome. Let's get Chris's answer. Hey, look, every Sunday night, I would go to Wendy's, get my chili and my double bacon cheeseburger and watch the X-Files. In a of my own tears. It, is, it was literally, and it still is, I believe, the first kind of entryway into what we now know as modern television. The, the way that they told stories and they had like a continuing theme and a mystery throughout not just a uh, season but an entire series that led into films and all this kind of stuff had tiebacks and um, tie-ins and books and all that kind of crazy stuff the x-files was a phenomenon and i loved every second of it and i cannot wait to see more x-files the the second movie was a disappointment but i cannot wait to see this series i hope they do a good job with it because it's it's an awesome property and it should have all the time in the world so i'm excited about it all the time in the world that's right they should have more than six episodes it should be hundreds (laughs) how about that josh how do you feel about it well i am 
I'm kind of with Chad on this one. Yes. I just oh, I'm interested in the X Files, kind of, but I really only caught a couple episodes of it. Are Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny coming back? Yes, yes. They they're are. like sixty now, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they look great. Yes. They're they're coming geriatric back. version. They're That's coming a bad thing. So I'm not the, ageist or anything. I'm just saying. It's kind of so weird. is the creator Chris Carter, who was huge. Yep. He's like a modern showrunner. Like This is that first show that did all this stuff. Yep. It's the first show to be TV. I, I really don't understand <laughs> what you were getting at by that. Just modern television. A, a, a continuing story that, you know. Serial? I'm pretty sure they yep. had serials before. No, I just mean like it was all very cinematic, well shot. I mean, if if you look at television in the, in the '90s, you got stuff like Lois and Clark, the New Adventures of Superman, that kind of stuff it was very poppy, very what you call network TV. And this was very edgy, very graphic, uh, mature themes. It was just a it was a dark, gritty, awesome television series. It kind of changed the way that people saw television. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, so back yeah, to whether Josh have Chris was excited. Hijacking. <laughs> <laughs> Josh has nothing to say. So Josh, are you excited can, about Chris being like, excited? <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited whenever Chris is excited because yeah, he just brings okay. so much enthusiasm to the room. And Chris, I just want to take this time to say how much I appreciate you and the joy that you bring to our podcast. <laughs> joy. Joy. I'm excited. We I couldn't tell. You. What that about you, Melody? Very special. Uh, yes, I'm very excited about it. I cu- there's I, there's not a way that I could possibly not be excited about X-Files coming back. I'm cautiously excited because I think the movie was a huge disappointment, the latest movie. I loved the show, and I, I actually like that they're only bringing back six episodes because I think you know they can do something fun and cool in those six episodes instead of trying to bring back something that will drag out and, and give it a, a slow death, so... I'm cautiously excited. Number two. Speaking of huge disappointments, Chris came up with our second question tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this would be fun. Great. And it is this. If you could own any movie or TV prop vehicle, the operative term being prop, what would it be? And we're going to start with Chris. You get the honors. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, There was a show in the Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was a show in the 80s and during my childhood I-, I looked upon it very fondly and considered it to be one of the very best television shows ever made just because I had that the the the, the memory in my brain and wasn't actually able to watch the show and then the actual show came to DVD and to Netflix and looking back on it now I realize it was kind of not that great of a show uh, but Airwolf I loved, and oh I still gosh. love the idea of Airwolf. So if I could own any prop, it would be the Airwolf helicopter. I would love to have that guy. So anyway. That and just be, to be clear, it doesn't. these don't fly or drive. They're right, just props, right, exactly. right? I'd love the prop to just sit in a hangar someplace with all of the nice knobs and fake dials and all that stuff inside and play Airwolf. So yes, Airwolf is my answer. Mm-hmm. He he came up with that question just so he could say that answer. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Clearly. I did. I certainly did. Because I, I actually I have a dream about me owning this prop one day. So you know, no, look, don't don't crush my dreams. I'm not. We, we have to have a dream. He's being completely serious here. Folks. I know. Melody, uh, you're up. Yes. Well, I did not read these questions ahead of time, so I'm going to give you my first reaction, the first thing that popped into my mind, which if I sat here long enough, I may may come up with something different, or I may feel like I've betrayed something that would be more important to me, but right now, this is on my mind, 
not my heart. So my answer is the Serenity uh, Firefight class. Whoa. Space transport ship. (laughs) That is what I would choose. Now, did they actually make a model for that or was it just sets? (laughs) Does the vehicle have to exist in the physical? Oh, that's a good question. Listen, we can't go back and try to put rules on this thing now. Yeah, We're that's already, true. There are no gone. rules. It it's just gone. says a- any movie vehicle, and this is what came to my mind. So that is my answer. The Serenity. Boom. Along with its captain. Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. What? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Over 31 episodes of the that. constant <laughs> theme of Meryl Stripe in the Feral household. It's so awesome. Oh, at least it's in public. So, Chad. Well, I think if I could if I could have one thing, it would be from James Cameron's Titanic. I would want the Titanic. What? <laughs> think about it. Think about it. I want it. I want it. What? It has a ballroom. It has what? like bedrooms. It has all kinds of. Think about it. It would be amazing if I had the Titanic. Come on, guys. Oh, oh this well, is more okay. creative or, than I thought it would be. Part, part two would be from the Stephen King film Christine, the 1958 Plymouth Fury. Oh, that was like God. the first kind of uh, Stephen King movie that I was, as a kid, I was allowed to watch, which I don't know why I was, but I was. So either Titanic or Christine, one of the two. But I'm leaning Titanic. <laughs> So since this has gone wow. completely off the rails, I was going to go a little bit more practical, but I'm just going to go ahead and give my original go answer, go home, which was the Starship Enterprise. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. That's a good answer. Whatever. Oh, Sorry. guys. It's Titanic. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a vehicle. A great question. It's right. totally real. <laughs> they totally built it. They built yeah. it before. <laughs> you can do it again. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. <laughs> This was a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Number three. Apple unveiled their newest product. The Apple Watch, and I can't wait to hear which one all of you guys are going to get, because I'm sure you're as excited about this product as I am. And of course, I have to go to Josh first to get his initial fanboy reaction. Josh. How excited ask, you are about ask this. Ask me How, the question as it's written. Are you, <laughs> Please. <laughs> are, are you excited about the Apple Watch? No. Next question. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. <laughs> This is the best jump cut series of questions we've ever had. Chris is in charge of all jump cuts from now on. <laughs> no, no. I wanted to make these Done. fast. We've got a packed, a packed episode. All right, really Chad. Do. Chad, what did you think? Are you excited about the Apple Watch? Excited is probably too strong a word. I gave it a fair shot, you know, when I watched the keynote. But I have to admit that I am intrigued by some of the features and potential features down the road. You know, just stuff that's well known by now. Passbook integration, Apple Pay from your watch. A lot of the remote control functions seem pretty cool. So, I don't know. I really kind of need to see it in person. But I'm not excited about it. But I am intrigued by it somewhat, I think. And all of that to say, I'll be pre-ordering on the 10th. <laughs> okay, there you go. I was about to ask <laughs> you, will you be buying one? Okay, that, I am ashamed. That, the proof is literally in the pudding there. Okay, Melody, are you excited Wait. about the Apple Watch? Do you want one? Uh, no, I am not excited about it, and I do not want one. I like the ability to put my phone away from me and not be disrupted by text or calls in the times that I want. I do not see any need to have all of these things happening on my on my watch. I don't 
I don't want it. You I still want type it. on the timer, rider, don't you? Stay strong. I, I don't care. Like, you can make fun of me if you want, I but I think I, I don't want it. I don't want it. So don't buy it for me, Chris. That's the future. Well, not a problem because I've decided I'm going to go ahead and buy the $17,000 version so of dumb. it. Uh, yes, I'm excited about the Apple Watch. Obviously, I will be pre-ordering one as well. I think it is what it can do and what it will continue to do is fascinating to me. But, of course, there are two things that I really love and that are that's watches and technology, specifically Apple products. And so... This is like a marriage made in heaven for me. Um, I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. It is uh, very exciting, and I can't wait to see what they do with this version, but also the versions I'm sure that will be coming after for years to come. So, yes. The marriages of you two, the Apple Watch? Is that the heavenly yes. marriage? Yeah. Oh, me right. and the Apple Watch, <laughs> happily married. Well, at least somebody would be happy over there. I have words <laughs> in my head that I cannot say on the podcast. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So it's been a while since we have talked about anything that we've been watching other than the main stuff that we've been reviewing. So I thought very quickly we'd just go around and just catch up with what you guys have been watching, whether that be television or film. So let's go to Melody. Melody, what have you been watching? Well, not a whole lot, but I did have one to bring to the table. Uh, we took our little daughters to see Cinderella the other day, uh, the new Disney movie in the theater. So we got to watch that, and it was great. the The girls loved it, and we had a good time too. I think it was. I think it was pretty well done. It's definitely, you know, for kids. I don't know that it translates like super awesome to like only the adult audience, but it was fun and it was cute. So I think really it looks it. good. I want to see it. I want to see it. it yeah, it, it's it, worth it was good. All right, Chris, what about you? What have you been watching? Okay, so I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before or not. So if I have, just go ahead and stop me. Um, there was a okay. Amazon- I'll stop you there. Moving on. <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> no, there was an Amazon original show called uh, Man in the High Castle. Have I talked about this on the podcast? You talked about the pilot, I think. So I, was I, I didn't know. I couldn't remember if I had if I had talked about it or not. You did. Oh, he's got you more. Got, don't you guys worry. talked about whether it was going to. You were hoping it would get picked up, and it did get picked up. So that's that's good news. But um, I don't talk about it anymore. But if you haven't seen Man in the High Castle, you definitely should, especially um, if you're into alternative history and Nazis as the bad guy and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's spectacular. Okay. Um, the alternative history is the (laughs) Nazis Nazis are the the bad bad guys. guys? (laughs) No, no, no. I gotta see that. Those those are two. (laughs) What? What is this revisionist history you speak of? Two separate things. If you like Nazis as being bad guys, comma, and also revisionist history, then you would enjoy this series. Okay. Um, so there's two things I want to talk about real quick. I've been watching a comedy called The Last Man on Earth. Have yes, you guys on been watching yes, this? We just started watching. I haven't started, but I've heard good things. It is start. it's hilarious. It's really quite good. It's I mean, anyway, it's very clever um and um just it's so silly. It's it, it takes this like post-apocalyptic skin and just tells a story that everyone can relate to somehow it's it's kind of crazy anyway so the last man on earth if you haven't watched that um i would recommend that you do that it's on hulu plus and uh it's currently in its first season i think it's four episodes or five episodes in at this point all right um so you can definitely catch up Uh, and then another uh very sad note i wanted to mention top gear 
which has just been canceled, and their host has been hmm. fired. What? And so, is this the good Top Gear, or the American Top yes, Gear? Yes, the good Top Gear. Jeremy Clarkson, who really tied the show together, I guess, got into a fight, like a fist fight, with yeah. one of the producers. Yeah. And uh, the produ- and producer had to go to the hospital, and so the BBC was like, "You know what? Uh, we don't need that anymore. So you're fired." And it was—it's literally the most ex- the, the most successful um, reality television show in the world, and they just they just uh, stopped it right dead in its tracks. So anyway, I'm nope. sad about that. So uh, there it goes. Top Gear is finished and done, and I'm sad. Tell us what Chris. have you been watching, Josh? Well, I'll tell you, Chad, since you were so kind to ask. I'm glad Chris mentioned The Last Man on Earth because I've just started that too and I like it and I was going to forget about it. But I got to ask you sometime, maybe off the air, Chris, what what part of that you feel you really relate to in life? Because there's one main theme that I see throughout the first few episodes that I hope you don't relate to. Anyways. <laughs> well, no, I, no it's, it's the idea of of marriage and like it, it, it's 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 good <laughs> well, we don't there, need any marriage <laughs> advice from you sir so no, no, going no. back to josh it's, it's sweet <laughs> I, but i haven't I'm, i've only seen the first i think two episodes uh so I, oh I okay not so wait, out, wait so. so you get to the theme that i'm talking about then oh, okay well um, i don't know i'm sorry maybe i'm backing myself into a hole there you uh, might you, you just might be Oh great! Okay, Anyways, well, never mind. Okay, right, I have so. one more to add that I'm surprised we haven't really mentioned yet. But Better Call Saul, the oh, uh, yeah. spinoff from Vince Gilligan and Friends and Bob Odenkirk, <laughs> mm-hmm. is great, and I'm glad to have a Vince Gilligan show back on the air. And I'm a few episodes behind now. Uh, I've been out of town, so I'm looking forward to catching up on that. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is good. I watched the first three episodes, and then I stopped and realized that I wanted to let those pile up so I could hammer through them. But yeah, it's really, really good. It's so I, funny. I did the exact <clears throat> same thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah. I haven't, um, I was just saying, I haven't really been to the theater in a while because there really hasn't been much that I wanted to see. But I was uh, at a conference a couple weekends ago, and literally the only thing that I could make myself go see was Run All Night. I don't know if you guys seen it. it's the Liam Neeson, Ed Harris. It Common. looks like Taken, Taken Six, Taken yeah. three point five. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know it's pretty average, but it, there's something there's something compelling about seeing those two guys on screen together, and they actually do have a, a decent amount of time on screen together. And when they're you know when they're bouncing off of each other, it's it's it has some I'm interesting sorry, who, action. Who, and who is the other person? Liam Neeson and who? It's Ed Harris, the guy. Ed from, Harris. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and so it's really good. Uh, or their performances are really good. The movie is just kind of forgettable, but not the not the worst that you know that you could do. And uh, I just finished actually the first season on Netflix of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And I don't know if, oh, you, yeah. if you guys I gotta have watched watch that that at all. The new Tina Fey television show that was actually originally supposed to be at NBC, but after they turned in the first few episodes, NBC got cold feet because of some of the subject matter and said no. And then Netflix, as they often do. Uh, jumped in and saved the day. And it really is very clever. If you like 30 Rock, it's like very much like 30 Rock. If you like that sensibility, it's very funny, very clever, witty, and very outlandish. But it's it's very good. So that's what I've been watching. Welcome to the main event. All right, guys. Our next segment is Made You Look. Here's what we do. The screeners at random get picked to pick a film that maybe another screener would never watch, um, would never... Uh, rent or go view on their own um, and so 
like tonight, I was able to pick the first film for Josh, and I was fairly convinced that Josh would never actually go out and seek this film himself, and so I decided to pick Predestination, which is a film I absolutely love, so I can't wait to hear his thoughts on that. But that's the basic idea. Uh, One of us chooses a film for the other screener that they would never in their right mind maybe go see or seek out on their own, and we make them look. So, here we go. Josh, I loved Predestination. It was, one of, it was one of my top 10 films, if you remember, of last year. Predestination is a film by the Sprig brothers, and it's about a time-traveling temporal agent. He's on his final, final assignment, and he's got to pursue the one criminal that has eluded him throughout time and space. So I, I really thought this film was uh, pretty clever. It did some things that I've never seen in any other film, period, bar none. A lot of what I thought was really well-written um, dialogue and setup, and it didn't go where I thought it was going to go because I don't see how you could possibly predict all of the twists and turns really? um, in this film. So, Josh, what did you think of Predestination? Well, Chris, I'll tell you. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Predestination kind of reminded me of, like, you remember Primer? I know you remember Primer. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of that, but less intelligent. Like, (laughs) most things are, to be fair. That's true. Primer, you got a high bar there to keep up with Primer. But uh, I will say that it's nice to see a movie that's kind of about time travel that treats the notion of. The, the sacredness of a timeline differently than a lot of other time travel movies do, but that's about the only time I'm going to say nice in relation to this movie. <laughs> because nice. either I am a just complete idiot, which is possible, I guess, or there's just at least one gaping, wide-open plot hole in the movie that, I, that kind of ruins the whole, the whole artifice of it, and I... We don't really want to spoil these, so I, I can't talk about the movie much at all. Oh man, except this is to say good. that I don't think it knows what it is, and I think it's it thinks so, it has something to say about the title concept about predestination, but all it really had was a couple of plot twists that you kind of see coming, and a story that doesn't know whether it's a sci-fi or a drama, and Ethan Hawke, and not much else. So. That's my takeaway without saying anything so you, too specific. So you didn't think you didn't think the the basic concept was clever in any way, shape, or form. because at the very <sighs> early, very early on, I mean, you've never for, just be honest here. Have you ever seen the movie with that particular? I mean, there's never been a film that's done this, right? I well, mean, no, because it can't be done because they sure didn't it do it. They left a they left a giant hole that you could drive a truck through. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. All right. uh, Let's see here. Josh, I think you're up next. All right. So I had, I got Melody for this time. And so I picked for her Nebraska, the 2013 movie starring Will Forte and Bruce Dern, described by IMDb as an aging booze-addled father makes the trip from Montana to Nebraska with his estranged son in order to claim a million-dollar mega sweepstakes marketing prize. And this is one of those just kind of of slice-of-life type stories that I like. 
And I think Will Forte does actually a great job in dramatic roles. And I think there's nothing wrong with watching, you know, kind of a mildly depressing movie every once in a while. And it's in black and white, which is a worthy experiment. And just be glad I didn't make you watch August Osage County. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The end. All right. Well, I, um, I liked it. I mean, it has its, its charm and its worth. It was very slow and I had to kind of toothpick my eyes open a couple times. But (laughs) the slice of life thing, it's, it's nice because it, you know, you got to slow down and just appreciate the story and the characters uh, it was pretty much I don't care, I don't care, I don't care watching, I don't care. <laughs> and then all of a sudden something would happen and it'd be like oh, that's really sweet or oh, that's really sad or oh, I really relate to that. Um, so, you know, it kind of just like fills you with emotion when you're not necessarily expecting it all of a sudden. Um, both in funny things that's and in, in sweet things. Yeah, the, uh, I thought some of the acting was exceptionally horrible. Um, some of the older people, not the main characters, but some of the side characters. I'm just like, where did they get these yeah, people? Uh-huh. They, they they can't act at all. Um, I, the black and white thing, I don't necessarily think I understood, but whatever. I'm maybe not so cinematically minded as some people. The Midwest charm, I really liked uh, because I grew up in the Midwest, so I like being in that environment, I think that was a pull for me. But so, uh, would I recommend this? Uh, probably not. I mean, unless it was someone like Josh <laughs> that liked <laughs> oh, this sort of film. You. But to the general moviegoer, it wouldn't be at the top of my list. But it, it was, I'm, I'm glad that I watched it and I'm glad that I can round out my movie watching of this year with some films like this or one right. I, one film I'm, like this i bring balance to chris's tastes in your life precisely precisely it's all about balance <laughs> nebraska is good it is a good it movie is. it was it was in the year that it came out it got a lot of love like best of the year best it was nominated for several oscars and i didn't really buy that part of it yeah. but i thought it was good it's a it's good it's just a nice yep. nice little movie yep yep Speaking of nice little movies, yeah. this leads me to the next one. So when I when I was as fortunate to draw Chris's name, I knew I had to take advantage of this opportunity uh, to pick something that he would never, ever, ever watch. And so I picked a movie that was the IMDb, the IMDb description is the lives of four black students at an Ivy League college. That's literally the description. It's Dear White People. Uh, it's a movie that was pretty much universally acclaimed. It's on dozens and dozens of uh, top ten lists for critics. I think it's brilliant satire. It's really funny and, and sweet. And it's a recipe that I'm sure will equal Chris hating it, which is why I picked it. So, Chris, did you watch Dear White People? And if so, what did you think? I can hardly I did. wait. I did, I did watch <laughs> Dear White People. And you're right. I would have never, you know... <laughs> decided let me ask you this under what circumstances did you see this film chad have you seen this film yeah it was my number six uh top um, my top 10 list last yeah, year. right that's right that's right absolutely that's right. yeah so uh, what did you see it in the theater no no, no. with a group of people no i rented it and i watched it at home by yourself by myself a pair of headphones gotcha yeah 
Okay. Yes, my humor does not require other people sitting next to me. It's either funny or it's not. But I'm interested no, yeah. in what you think, though. I know, I know, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> just say I it, Chris. Very, just say I, it. I, just unleash I, it. <laughs> Let very, it all out. Very mixed feelings uh, about this film. Um, <laughs> I found some things very distracting. Number one is the style of the film. Uh, it is very symmetrical and almost Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson style. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I feel like for the first maybe half an hour of this film, they didn't move the camera off of a tripod the entire time. True. Um, they um, used pans, zooms. It felt very 70s. Uh, the film stock that they used was very desaturated and faded. Mm-hmm. Very spikely, very Wes Anderson, very kind of like just, you know, they would frame a headshot with a lot of headroom and like the head would be down in the bottom left-hand corner. Yep. Just very distracting filmmaking for me. <laughs> like uh, I was trying to not let it distract me but the entire time i was thinking like now why do they do that and then i would be like oh i wasn't paying attention to what was happening just when the filmmaking calls attention to itself i find it to be very distracting rather than leading like to actually tell a compelling like story sure um i feel like um there okay so obviously this movie is trying to make a statement right mm-hmm. you just called it satire it, you'd think it fits into the in, oh. Into that genre? Squarely, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, it definitely has a point of view. There's no doubt it has a point of view. But, yeah, it, it's, it's – yeah, for sure. I, okay, so okay, so I, I, I appreciated kind of the frankness of the story. I also well, – another thing that I found very distracting is everyone is exceptionally good-looking. Like, there's not <laughs> a bad-looking person in this entire film. Like, everyone is, like, tens. I found that to be pretty – Pretty distracting, but <laughs> of all the things to point out, Chris, it's distracting. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it just was. It was just it was like uh, models. Everybody was a uh, like a I don't know whatever uh, express model or whatever. Um, very preppy, very all that stuff. But okay, so anyway, the movie itself, the story that was being told, I actually quite a lot. Walked. I, I I actually enjoyed the. It was very frank. It was very you know trying, to, but I felt that it was a little just. Like, say on the nose. Say on it. On the nose. Say it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. In your face, just like here it is. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it took place on a university where you can like say all these things. It reminded me, and I know you're going to hate me for even comparing it to this because I actually haven't seen this film, but I stayed away from it just because of this. But there's a movie um, that came out as a Christian film called God's Not Dead. Um, and it also took place on a a college campus and i just feel like what are you saying right now <laughs> when when you when you place happened, a film that's trying now. hang on when when you place a film in in that kind of environment where people can like be very frank and be talking about like philosophy and they have a professor and they feel like well no i have to tell you how i really feel about my kind of convictions and thoughts and feelings it just becomes a little i felt just too much like it just felt like it was too preachy it was too like i already said on the nose it was too um just way out there with its with what it was trying to say having said all that i thought it did a very good job i enjoyed the actors i thought um the acting was really great the directing even though it called attention to itself the the movie looked fantastic um all in all i enjoyed the film i i did i i I liked it i don't know if i would recommend it for everyone oh Um, definitely not 
but it's it's definitely got a a style that I appreciated that I enjoyed at least not at least just from an art sense an exercise sense like I felt it like it did a very very good job and it was topical too I mean we just recently had like a few weeks ago we had a sorority fraternity in real life who got in a lot of trouble for racially charged um a racially charged uh, song that they were singing. Kids got expelled, and uh, the, the fraternity got shut down at that school, and all that stuff. And that that, that same stuff covered here in this film, mm-hmm. um, and I think done pretty well. But I still think, like I said, it's just a little too concentrated. It was a little too much. Um, here's what we're trying to say. Here's what we're trying to say. Yeah. Here's what we're trying to say. And well, I felt it coming a million miles away. You know what I mean? Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you didn't overtly hate it. That's good. That, no, that makes me no. feel good. Uh, I I actually don't think it's on the nose at all because of the satirical rapping. The director's name is Justin Simeon, and this is actually his very first feature. I really like his style, and he definitely deals in archetypes and stereotypes. But I think he looks at them in sort of a sort of a new way, and he he definitely I think whereas the style distracted you, I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, it was um, it just made gave the, the the editing a sense of energy, and but, I think it's but good. it calls attention to itself though. Sure. You you admit that right? I mean the sure. way that they like the very beginning, Canted the way that angles they, and negative look space and all kind. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, I mean even like like text overlays sure. and like uh, the, the way think, that cell phones interact and the like. It's all very stylized sure. i like it and i liked I, it I, I did too but i'm just saying it was a little distracting like i was like sure. he they they're having a little bit too much fun i, I don't just, know i feel I like, like it might be too much i like point. the dry ironic tone i just i dig it I, I think it's really really good and i think the writing is brilliant i think the performances are great and i think that uh i think that it's good i think it's topical and timely and i think a lot of people you're right this isn't for everybody which is exactly why it was perfect for you because um, it's something that you would never, never see. But uh, overall, yeah, that's that's cool that you kind of, kind of liked it. I'm glad. I'm glad you 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 had me because again, I would never have watched it, and I would have never seen it. I, I I did enjoy it, like I said before, and I'm glad I got to watch it. So, uh, thank you for the thank you for the recommendation <laughs> and the experience. Welcome at the very least. Okay, well, for my pick this time, I got to pick for Chad. And I guess maybe I didn't pick one that you would never, ever, ever in a million years watch, but you hadn't watched it up till this point. This movie is Coherence, and it was like a 2013 film, I think. Um, Kind of thriller, I would call it, about um, strange things that that happen at a dinner party or whatever okay but here's the interesting thing about this film is that the director which i think it was this is like his first first movie um the interesting thing is that he decided to test this idea of shooting a film but without a crew and without a script so he basically shot this movie in his home he hired improv actors and they would come in and he would give them like cards of like their motivations for the evening and um like major plot points but other than that um a lot of this movie was improv knowing that uh and then seeing kind of what unfolds is is intriguing it's just an interesting film it's i didn't think it was earth-shatteringly awesome but i definitely thought it was worth a watch so chad i'm interested to see what you thought well all the stuff that you just said i believe uh, maybe even on the podcast when you guys first re- recommended this movie, or it might have been might have been when we were together last time. Uh, you you'd mentioned that this was you know largely improvised and etc. But I had completely forgotten all of that. Mm-hmm. So when I watched this, 
And if I'm being honest, in the first like 10, 15 minutes, the very first thing I was wondering was, why did this? Why does this movie look like crap? Right. It's so <laughs> ugly. And I just did not understand why. And it was very oddly edited and strangely paced for like the first 10 or 15 minutes with these constant, you know, beats, like these scene beats where it would fade to black at very odd places for seemingly no narrative effect. And so for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was... And, they're talking over each other, and the audio is terrible. Like, there's literally a point where uh, two people hug, and you can hear the lapel smush up against the, <laughs> the other person. And I, and so yeah. I was I was like, what in the heck am I watching? <laughs> but I have to be honest that, I, that when things start to happen, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but when things start to happen, I was very much intrigued by the story that unfolded, by by the puzzle that it was asking me to unwrap uh, and figure out as it got deeper and deeper into the events of the evening. I have to say that I did very much, overall, I did enjoy the journey that this film took me on. I I didn't know what was happening. I wanted to know what was happening. The acting, even realizing after the fact that it was largely improvised, I would not have guessed that. I would have thought it was just a, a normal script. Uh, the performances I thought were largely solid. I, I, just very, very interesting movie. Um, and the journey of trying to figure out what is happening and then largely disappointed maybe a little bit at the end of how it ended and how it all came together. It seemed like a little bit of a of a cop-out to me. Mm-hmm. But overall, uh, it's really impressive when you look back at it. It's a guy with a camera by himself who's able to craft this thing that is a movie. I mean, it feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. The constant focusing, I don't know if he was using autofocus or what, but it was like shallow depth of field and then it would pop into focus. And the handheld aesthetic, after a while, to me, it began to, det- to distract, like Chris was saying about dear white people, and it took away from the tension that he was clearly very, very good and astute at creating. There was a, a palpable sense of, tension as the night went on and I really liked that but then the more every time there was a cut something would be out of focus and then it'd pop back into focus and it was handheld and so now that I after it was over I immediately went to the internet and then I remembered all that stuff I was like oh that makes so much sense so knowing that after the fact makes me like it maybe even a little more Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it's it was really it was really good. I enjoyed it. I would recommend people see this just because it's a, it's a very interesting puzzle piece. Um, and I, yeah, I really dug it. So what did you guys think of it? Did you, was this something that you liked? Is that why? Or was it just kind of the whole experience of knowing this how was, it was put together? This was on our top 10 last year, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I really liked it. I, I agree with you. I think the end was maybe a little bit disappointing after the journey that you've taken with it. But mm-hmm. overall, it's a, it's a really interesting film it is it is very interesting i mean i like the style just because i feel like the point was to make you feel like you were there in the room uh very like it is unfolding for almost like a Mm -hmm. reality kind of a show rather than it being a staged sure but they they didn't really shoot it that way like it it almost felt to me like it felt like faux found footage like everything was like right yeah, but yeah. it wasn't found footage, so it was no, like you know, no. just it was fine. It was fine. It, it it was fine. I got over it once I got used to the fact that it was going to be kind of ugly. Then I forgot about it and was able to get into the story. But it's I can see why you guys would like it, especially you, Chris. I think you know this oh, yeah. is kind of right in your wheelhouse and Melody too, sci-fi stuff, mm-hmm. if you want to call it sci-fi. So I really dug it. It was really really good. So thanks. Good. I'm glad you watched it. 
one thing that was very telling that Bob said, he said, all my life I've had more money than I could spend, and it didn't make me happy. She talked on the telephone with her husband, then she vanished, and no one has seen Kathleen Durst since. Durst was wanted for murder in Texas. He's a suspect for murders in Los Angeles and Westchester County, New York. He belongs to one of the richest families in New York City. Might be a little eccentric. I think Bob is very smart. I mean, he's managed to get away with three murders. He is being unfairly accused. Bob Durst may be the unluckiest man in the world. Lonely. Well, I thought he was darling. He's not crazy. He's diabolical. I believed him from the very beginning. I wish that I... You should interview him. I think you'd have a lot of fun with that. Is he crazy enough to participate? Hi, Mr. Durst. Why did he do this? No one knows. Why was he dressed like a woman? No one knows. The only witness left alive to even talk about it is Robert Durst. Hey! We have very compelling evidence. This case was not investigated the way it should have been. A lot of smoke doesn't necessarily mean fire, but I think there's a lot of smoke here. Not tell the whole truth. Nobody tells the whole truth. To wrap up this week's show, we thought that we would take just a few brief minutes and talk about the cultural phenomenon of the jinx, the life and deaths of Robert Durst. This is one of the only times that I can remember where a piece of art and real-world crime kind of intersected at entertainment and journalism and has really taken the world by storm, so we definitely had to talk about it here on the screeners. Uh, if you look on IMDb, the description is, Filmmaker Andrew Jarecki examines the complicated life of reclusive real estate icon Robert Durst, the key suspect in a series of unsolved crimes. So before we get too deep into this, let me ask, has everybody, has everyone on the screeners caught up through the entire series? No. Yes, I have seen the entire thing, yes. Josh? No, Melody. Oh, I actually I, have. What? This is the first time <laughs> yeah. ever. Okay. I've only so seen the good. first two episodes, but please just take, have your full your conversation. This story, as far as the jinx is concerned, as it relates to the screener, started when I got a notification on my phone before I started watching the jinx that said Robert Durst, subject of documentary, arrested. What? And so I thought that I've, I've watched so many documentaries over the year about true crime that I thought it's probably something that I've seen and I just don't remember. So I opened it and I didn't read anything. I just saw the headline, HBO, new HBO show, The Jinx, and I was like, stop immediately. <laughs> And so I was like, I don't want to know anything else. And then that's when uh, that's when uh, we I decided to go and watch it. And Chris had mentioned, you know, are you watching the Jinx, etc. And so first, what I'd like to do just very quickly is let's give our overall thoughts on just the Jinx itself, on just the show. Let's not necessarily talk about what happened after the show, and right. then we'll we'll wrap up with what's happened, uh, some controversy related to the making of the show and to the actual Durst case itself. So, so start with you, Josh. Uh, you were able to catch up on this. What do you think about just the Jinx as a show? As a show, okay. Well, this is tough because I pretty much, it's HBO, and I pretty much automatically give them the benefit of the doubt that something they back or something they produce is going to be good. And the Jinx, the production values were, of course, fantastic. It was a very well-made documentary. Mm -hmm. But I'm... I'm still struggling to find out what made this good as a documentary. And I, I can go into more more or less detail on that 
if we want. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say, uh, because of the events that are happening in, in real life, that we're going to go ahead and spoil everything that happens in all episodes uh, of The Jinx. So if you don't want to hear that, then you should go catch up and then come back and listen later. So go ahead, Josh. Okay, so did anyone else find that it was very repetitive and a little disjointed? I mean, I know they play with linearity, and that's expected. And But mm-hmm. like the first three episodes jumped from crime to crime so much, and they repeated so much of what he said in an interview or the gist of what someone else said in an interview that so i find this fascinating how did you watch the show um i started at episode 1 and then two <laughs> and it kind of went on like that until i hit 6 <laughs> but but what i'm saying is is you watched them pretty quickly together correct you didn't watch them when they came out correct well so I, I, I watched them over sorry over the space of it ended up being Five days, four or five okay. days, so one a day. So, th- this was what six episodes? Is that correct? Six episodes. Yeah, that's six. right. So I watched them week by week because I, it was a new show on HBO. I love documentaries, and I watched the first episode, and it reminded me a lot of another documentary that I recommended. I don't know if you guys. I feel like I recommended it on our other what what to watch or. Uh, Mickey Watch or whatever um, segment we did, The Imposter. Do yeah, you guys? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so um, so that it reminded me a lot of The Imposter in the beautifully shot recreations, dramatizations of real events. So for me, I actually really liked the fact every week they would give me recap what had happened just to kind of catch me up on wait who said that because there's a lot of players here. There's a lot of murder here. There's right. a lot of well, years here. So for me, it was just very nice to kind of get caught up on that. But uh, okay, all right. Well, yeah, there's a difference between a beginning of the episode recap, which is sure, that's fine. It's expected. Uh, but they shot this documentary over the course of, what, 10, ten years. years or so, they no, said? No, it's not 10 years. They, the 10 years includes the first film, Jarecki's film, that was loosely based on the disappearance of his first wife. This actual jinx is, I think, closer to like five or six years. But still, so they, a long time. I was going to say, been, still they, five or six years. They've been accumulating this all that time, though, for the sure. 10 years. He did All Good Things, which Research. is that, that, that yeah. film. And then it continued on because they got a call from Robert Durst. In 2010. Saying, yeah, hey, I'd like to, and that was the shocking thing for me. See, f- for me, when I watched this, fi- when I watched this, say I call it a film, when I watched this show, I was shocked because the first episode they don't interview Robert Durst. You don't know anything about his connection to the show, and so I just watched the first. Like, wow, this is really fascinating. Wouldn't it be great if they actually talked to the guy though? That'd be crazy. And then he sits down, and the second episode is all about. Him, I found that utterly fascinating that this dude would be willing to sit down and actually talk. Yeah. Like, that's the stupidest thing you could possibly do. <clears throat> well, back to it. Josh's original point, though, I, I have a hard time putting this in any category, honestly, because there's not really a lot of four or five hour documentaries out there. So, is this really a documentary? Is it more like a TV show? And <clears throat> the availability of things like HBO Go, which allows people to binge watch something, definitely affects exactly what Josh is talking about, because I think it is part of the actual week-to-week stuff where there is repetitiveness, even to the sense of showing the same scene and the same sound bites over and over to kind of reinforce the point of view that they're wanting to do. But when you watch it back-to-back, like I did, I watched all six episodes in two days. 
then it is very clear that you see that pattern repeated a lot. And so it can feel a little repetitive. So I do agree with that, Josh. I'm just saying I didn't notice that because I watched it over a six-week period. Yeah, so that's interesting how our perception changes. But to go along with that, if it's five, six years in the making, just the documentary and more research before that, they have so much more to talk about, though. Like, what's the deal with his current wife? What about the one nephew who's the only one in the family who wants to talk about this? They spend a couple minutes with him. What about sure. Dorothy Siner and all his other aliases? That's the interesting stuff. They, they assume, and they only pay the most cursory of lip service to the idea that he might not be guilty. And to me, that's what would keep engagement in the story is, well, planting some bigger seed of doubt that they never... I guess they can't because he's so clearly guilty. Yeah, but, I was about to say, what, uh, what, what would you well, want them to do there? I think that his own charisma and his own persona when he's being interviewed and his steadfastness, even though he seems like a psychopath, is, seems. is what <laughs> is their attempt to let him have his day in court to say what he wants to say because they can't present evidence that they don't have. But it's obvious to me he, he has this strange sort of thing that makes really? you – I think so for sure. Yeah, The way I mean, he he's, blinks. The way he is, his mannerisms, oh his, my his gosh. confidence in, in the way that he answers things. Yeah, I mean it's obviously you – know, I can see how he would easily manipulate people. So, but you found that charismatic? Yeah, I didn't find that I, at all. I, 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 found, I found that self-incriminating. Yeah, I found it very creepy and obvious. And like, there there was several moments when there's a there's a moment when uh, he talked about him being in California during the time of <laughs> California is a big state. Yeah, California is a big state. And I was like, oh my gosh, this dude is why 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 are you doing that? Why why would you even say that? Like why why wouldn't you just say? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Like, why would you? Well, because be they already so... knew he was in California, so that wasn't a secret. So I know, I, I understand that, true. but I'm just saying the way he decided to acknowledge that fact. Well, California is a big state, and I, I mean, like, he does have a point. You imagine big state. Hannibal Lecter <laughs> saying that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, wow, dude. Yeah, Melly, Sweet. what do you think? We're dominating the conversation here. What did you think about the Jinx overall? I mean, it was it was definitely very intriguing. I only got to watch the first two episodes, so I I have to say, like uh, the first episode I watched with Chris in the room, and he was probably as intriguing as the show itself because he kept <laughs> like making like commentary or like reliving, you know, seeing different things. I guess watching it the second time or whatever. So he was making it more interesting. The second episode I watched by myself and. I kind of got a little bored with it. Like, I'm not bored with the subject matter. I want to know the whole story. I felt like it was a little bit slow getting there, Mm -hmm. um, at least in the second episode. So I kind of wish maybe that this was just a film and we could have told it, you know, a little bit more succinctly. But I probably will not watch the rest of it. But I'm very intrigued to hear you guys talk about it. Well, you won't watch. You should watch the rest. At least watch mm. the last episode. Oh wait, actually, well, we're getting to that. Yeah, here's here's the thing: is that I do not think this is as brilliant as everyone has made it out to be. I think the finale. I think the finale is so so striking that it kind of gives everybody a an an overarching feeling about the entire series that I don't think is true. To say I wasn't riveted would not be true. I absolutely was interested. I wanted to know what was happening. I was fascinated by the characters. But just as a piece of work, 
I think it was very repetitive. I think that it was immaculately crafted now. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Top notch. But it, I think in their efforts to make a quote-unquote show, they watered down the power of the whole story. I think if this were a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour documentary that ended wow. in the same way, it would be phenomenal uh, for me. For me, because it yeah. definitely felt it. it there was a, a point in each one of those episodes where it definitely kind of drug. It was like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, you know. No, see, the reason why I was so attention because the first episode I watched, I didn't really, I had no, there was no cultural. It was just a new show on HBO, so there was no news. There was no nothing. So I just watched the first episode, and I thought, well, that was pretty good, and I'll probably watch the second one specifically because the murderer or the supposed murderer is going to sit down and actually tell us his side of the story. That in, in itself was intriguing. And I found it intriguing enough to watch every single episode and be caught up and excited about being able to see the sixth episode until, like you said, I got a push notification Sunday morning about 12 hours before the show was actually going to start um, telling me how the show was going to end. That, guys, is fascinating and i can't there's nothing there's nothing ever been like this no doubt there's nothing that will ever be like this and i disagree with you i found it utterly fascinating like uh, the the way that i watched the show week to week i thought it was engaging and i i was very few shows do i watch with no ipad like i said before no nothing this is one of them i wanted to know what was going on i wanted to get get inside this dude's head which is creepy and crazy. Sure. And I thought they did a great job. It I, was really well done. I don't disagree with any of that, but the kind of, you know, hyperbole that's being, you know, thrown around related to this is it's one of the most groundbreaking, you know, it artistic is. achievements or whatever. It does not. The man getting arrested at the end, coincidentally, and we'll talk about that. Whoa, you know, no. Toward no, the show no. doesn't, mm. doesn't lend any new. That any new does, credence to the show itself. If you just watch the of show, course it does. it's great. Dude, the only reason why everybody is watching the show is because of that arrest. That is the only reason why it's so popular. Okay, but that doesn't make the so show a better yeah, show. It just the makes show the show culturally merit. relevant. It doesn't no, make it better. What, I, what I'm saying is, is I found the, sh- the show very exciting, very uh, well done before the arrest happened, right? But the, once that happened, once that was kind of like the the literal icing on the cake, the bow on top of the, the present saying, holy cow, not only, because I don't know if you guys w- listened to Serial or not. Um, Serial's ending was kind of a fizzle. It turned, they turned it really well to make it, a, there, there'd be a point, but really it didn't have that big of an effect on real life. This did. Like this okay. show, although they're denying from that. Having, okay, hold on, hold on. It doesn't on. make any sense. Of course it is. They went from having no culture impact, nothing happening currently, to the <laughs> the day the premiere before what seems as though he was about to skip town. They decided to arrest him before that last sequence was shown, and everybody on in the <laughs> that had watched that show was talking about what was happening at the end of the show. I mean, guys, come on. Obviously, that had. A huge impact on who's watching it, what people are saying about it now, and the validity of the show. I mean, like, it's just, it's crazy. Before he skipped town, I thought they arrested him in Louisiana. Yeah, he, he, and he had, he was getting ready he to... shot that in New York. Oh, you mean right. he was just there and he was going to leave. 
yeah, he was in New Orleans and he had plans to leave the country before uh, the 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 next day, the the, the Sunday, because he knew what was coming at the end of the uh, the the HBO show, and that's I mean, come on, guys, no matter how much they try, try and deny that. The timing is not coincidental. It, it's not. You can't tell me that that is just, well, we just so happened to find some new evidence the moment that the finale of the show that is pretty popular on HBO. Uh, I mean, come on. I mean, that's that, that's no, not nobody. Nobody's denying that that's that that's coincidence, except for the FBI and the filmmakers, which you would expect them to do. Um, right. Which leads us to some of the controversy surrounding that. Uh, so let's let's very quickly because we're time our time is running out here. Let's give our brief thoughts on the finale and uh, and how you responded to it, and then we'll talk about some of the controversy that's happened since then. So, uh, Josh, how did that how how did that affect you? The last, the whole last episode was a train wreck. It was a train wreck. It was like 10, what? 20 minutes shorter than the rest of the episodes. I don't need to see 20 minutes of your production meetings leading up to an interview that takes one minute that's only you ambushing him with the new evidence you found that you have spent the last 20 minutes repeatedly saying, well, what, what should I ask him about this? I'm starting to get a little nervous. I guess I just pull the envelope out. and Okay, so the envelope is the smoking gun. That's, that's great, and one production meeting about the interview is fine, but that was almost the entire episode. And then we get to the end, we see a couple short clips of them talking about the lead-up, showing him some old pictures, blah, 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 pull out the smoking gun, and he tries to deny it, he can't. And then he talks into a mic that he doesn't know is hot like he's done before in the series, and which is brilliant, by the way. Which was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Because earlier on in the series, they dropped the fact that Robert Durst can't keep his mouth shut and talks with an open mic. And that was brilliant. That was great filmmaking because he has they established the fact that he has done this before. But continue. Right. Sorry. No, thank you for setting that up for me because the whole idea of them coming back to this to show this as the finale, as the last words in the series, when the first time he was saying something that he probably shouldn't have said, this time he is repeating their conclusions in their voice. He starts out saying... Wait, are you defending what Robert Durst says? No, I'm not saying he's not guilty. What I'm saying is (laughs) his mumblings into the hot mic the second time are Uh not in his voice. They're him saying what he knows everyone else is thinking. What the hell did I do? Of course, I killed them all. That's not a confession. That's him saying what he knows everyone else in the room is thinking. Yeah, that's, wow. one, that's one interpretation, except for the fact, and I, and I kind of thought that at first, except the very first thing he says is, well, that's it, you're caught. That's literally yeah. the very first thing he says. Well, that's no, it. Right, right. He says, caught. well, that's that, it, you're caught. You were, they, you were right and I was wrong. What the hell did I do? I killed them all. Of course. I mean, wh- exactly. what do you- that, that, whole, that whole speech is him making fun of their position. Like, uh, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not defending him, but I don't think you can honestly say that that is some kind of internal dialogue without what? any consideration that he's repeating what he's just been ambushed. Josh, that's what he did before. That is literally what he was doing before. I mean, that's why I thought it was so brilliant is that like when they when they first showed that, I just thought, well, wow, they're just trying to show how stupid he is. 
but no, they knew where this series was going to be ending. And so they wanted to give us the belief that he does this. Like, this is something that he would do. He, he is practicing. He's practicing his internal thought process of what he's going through and what he's thinking and talks out loud. And that's what he was doing. And he went to the bathroom that Mike was on and he confessed. That is what he did. Right. I, I think they set us up to think that showing the first clip. And I think the first clip was that. I think the second clip was something different. And we were led to believe that it was something it wasn't because of the first clip. I think it's that's, called uh, I think that's fair. Editing. I think that's fair to consider. But I disagree that, that it, the first part of it is is anything but him saying that he's caught red-handed i think the second part i i I, the first time i saw it i actually agree with josh i thought he was just saying this is what they think i would say that's that's how i took it but the first half of it i think because it happened immediately when he closed the door to the bathroom and his and his whole thing where he said and they asked me and then the burping right he was Kind right, of recounting yeah. how he could not control his reaction. That so, was literally he, the creepiest moment in the entire series. Is when <laughs> it really was. He like asked him, just yeah. point, point blank, and he just, uh, uh, it was literally like his he, an involuntary reaction of his like guilt. Like it, it, you can, I mean, like literally, like it was a his body just giving up on him. It was crazy. So let me ask you guys just a couple questions as we, as we wrap up here, there's been some controversy related to the timeline, um, of how certain things. Oh, that's just silly. Okay. So so I I agree, but uh, artistically, I agree that that's silly. Uh, but I do have a couple of questions that have, excuse me, that have surfaced related to kind of where does the line stop between an artist and a filmmaker and a journalist begin? Where's the ethical kind of one of the major things that's happened here is the questioning of the filmmakers as to when they turned over the evidence to the police. The interview where he the second interview that's in the finale actually happened in 2012, although they're saying that they didn't find the audio until a few several months ago. Um, so now there's some back and forth between when did the police know, did they hold this evidence in order to create a television show, all this kind of stuff. And so there is really a lot of controversy. Where do you guys land on this whole thing of entertainment versus journalism and the ethics involved when you actually have new evidence to a crime? Uh, what do you think? I mean, they, they say that as soon as they found it, they turned it over to the police. So right now we don't know that that's not true. So for me, I just say, I'll wait until I find that there's some sort of like foul play. But what I, I'm not foul play, but I mean like, you know, uh, uh, immoral like intent there. But for me, I think what happened and the reason why all this timing is important is that they turned it over to the police. The police have been investigating it probably for several months, like they said. And the police knew the way the series is going to end. Robert Durst knew what he had said. And he kind of had an idea of where things were going to end up. And so it, that all came to a head um, that Sunday morning or s- Saturday evening. They said, you know what, before we air, HBO airs that, we're going to arrest Durst. We probably don't have the full picture, <clears throat> but we know we have more than we did. That letter may not be the only thing, probably isn't. And so we're going to go ahead and just before this becomes a problem where he runs away, we're going to arrest him. So that's what I think happened. It's not coincidence. Kay. It's just it puts so- heat on Durst and the FBI and – all of all of us at one point in our lives and and continuing today have been on sets where you're shooting audio on a wireless lapel microphone yeah. uh, maybe to a secondary recording device or whatever 
if this was the seminal moment, right, that these filmmakers had, the, the quote-unquote, in their eyes, the confession, yeah. is there any possible way, any way, that they don't know two years ago that that audio is at the end of that clip, realistically? Sure. Now, in sure. my opinion, no way. Really? No way. In this case, where this was like the moment, do you really think that they just kind of, especially if he's established a pattern of keeping keeping the mic on and him talking, that they would just not check that for two years? Really? Really? Would you do that? I wouldn't. No crew I work with would do that. Well, here, here. I mean, again, like I, I'm not gonna tell them what they did or did not do. I have no idea. They said that they did. That's what. That's what happened. That I'm they sure they did. I'm. I'm just saying that that's what. I mean, again, like why would they? Why would they not? Again, like I. I, don't, I have no idea what the what the what their actual decision making process was. If they knew they had the audio or not, but I can see a world where they did. Like you just said. An audio guy was told to leave the thing on until they got the mic off from Robert Durst, right? Until he left the building, he was to be recorded. And again, here's the deal. Like, the timeline is, and, and again, I, at first, I didn't believe it, that, that he probably, they probably checked all the audio and they knew exactly what was going on. But then we find out that this interview happened the same time that they toured New York. You know, earlier on in the series, they, they were w- walking around New York City and he visited his um, brother's uh, apartment. When they were walking around, those are two different things. The, the, the time that he got in trouble for trespassing and got arrested was later. But what I'm saying is, is that when he and Jarecki were walking around New York City, they're they're wearing the exact same clothes. Like you can see this. Like they literally are. They walk around New York. They are going different places. They go in, do this interview, and they. This is what people have, are hypothesizing that they have been walking around New York City. All day, mic'd all day, and they just recorded hours upon hours upon hours of footage. And this was just one of those things. They archived it all, synced it up, and then right. had not looked at all. Except it. for the fact that in the room he quote-unquote was confronted with the biggest piece of evidence that you have. Right, but that this could would have stand been... out in a day of walking around the park. I agree with it you. It doesn't but make any say- sense. It but what I'm saying sense. is, is that it didn't happen right out. Come on, you know how editing works. Like obviously, I do, which this is didn't why it happen. Doesn't make any sense. This didn't happen immediately after. You know what I mean? Like they they had a conversation. Uh, who knows? They 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 had a snack. They then he went to the bathroom, and that's when they're showing this. It's not like they had a conversation. He got up, walked to the bathroom, said he killed everybody, and then left. Like obviously, there was time in between. There was moments. Obviously, this is a crafted moment to end on the best possible point they could. But again, I think there is a there is a world where they had so much audio that day that they did not realize what they had, or they thought it was junk, and so they just didn't even look at it until years afterwards. I don't. I mean, it's not. Yes, there fully. is a world. It's called fantasy land. But right. whatever, it doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter. We've talked that talked that to death. Sure. Okay. Any other any other thoughts on this? You know, before we go, do you guys have any thoughts? Is this is a show like Serial, a show like The Jinx? Are these good? Are they bad? I mean, is it good because it can shed you know new light on cold cases? Is it bad because it prejudices potential juries? What do you guys think? One way or the other. It sure seems like they found the smoking gun that the police were never able to. So that that seems good, I guess. Yeah. Seems like the police should have found it before, but 
Yeah. Also think it's interesting that in his current trial, the same guy who got him off, what was his name, DeGaron or something like that? Mm-hmm. He's 74 DeGaron. years old now, DeGaron. Yeah, and he's going to defend him again. So wow. we imagine if we go through this whole thing, because there's questions of admissibility and all kinds of other things, circumstantial evidence. What happens if he walks again? Can you imagine? So here's, here's, here's what I really truly believe, and I think that this is where the FBI is telling the truth, is that they've, they've gave Jarecki the go-ahead with this, the, the letter, the block lettering and all that stuff. But I've got to believe there's more. Like the FBI has been working for months. This, the you know, authorities, the police have been working to tie all this stuff, and there's got to be more evidence than just. I don't know what it'd this. be. I mean, it happened what in two, the, the murder for for the lady in California was like two thousand, right? Two thousand one. Right. So it's correct. Fifteen years ago. I don't know. We'll see. Well, no, it's, cer- it's yeah. certainly fascinating. That's for sure. And it is uh, unlike anything we've ever seen. I, yeah, and I, I mean, you, I just asked, is it a good thing? I mean. I, Either way, I had no idea. I don't think anybody had any idea it would end like this, right? So as far as – I don't think this, there is anything that will even be like this. There are going to be a lot of things that try and be this yeah, from this point Yeah, there's going to be a lot of new true crime things. Oh, man, out. yeah. I can imagine Serial now is going to be getting even more attention, even more than it already did. Um, you know, HBO is going to be going on the hunt for another one of these and every other – you know, network television show is going to have a jinx wannabe. There is yep. very little doubt that that will happen. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning into the Screeners Podcast. Well, we have talked enough, that's for sure. So now it is your turn. Go ahead and look us up on Facebook where you can like our page for updates. We're actually posting them these days. All other sorts of fun. Get involved with the conversation. Let us know what you thought of tonight's movies. And of the jinx, of course. Stop by screenerspodcast.com to read our show notes, or just send us an email at screenerscast at gmail.com to tell us what you'd like to hear about in the future. And don't forget, real fans leave iTunes reviews. Screeners out. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time. All right, guys, spoilers. Up ahead for predestination. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Well, you look nervous. Is it the scars? You want to know how I got them? But there's so many places it wouldn't have occurred to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führer's brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. And he's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. All right, Josh, what is the plot hole that is so big that you could drive a truck through? Okay, the entire plot is that this is all the same person. Right. How was this person born the first time? Thank you. I don't understand. And this is the same no, thing that already brought up. It doesn't make, it does not, that doesn't, it always was that way. There was always this person. He, and it Ethan always, Hawke is God? No, Ethan Hawke is not God. All I'm saying is, is that once time 
bent like that. Once this person was there, it was it, it, would, it would happen yeah, no matter what. How the, did the, the question, person no, 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 get hang there? On, hang on, yes, hang on, hang on. after it very bends, early then on, yes. guys, 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 guys. Very early on in the film, they bring up the concept of what came first, the chicken or the egg, and that's the idea. Does not fix the plot. No, no, no. It does. You don't know that, that. Literally, guys, this is that is a suspension of disbelief. You're just gonna have to let that go. So, besides that, I mean, which is not a huge amount of like. I mean, this is time travel we're talking about here, right? And so, chicken or the egg, this person always existed. It's a continual loop. It's a paradox. It just continues over and over and over and over again. I still thought that was super unbelievably clever. Like, you didn't think that was at all in any way, shape, or form just from a conceptual idea. Like, okay, we're going to have a movie where a person himself goes back through time and is his own quote unquote grandpa as they poke fun at by playing that song throughout the entire the entirety of the film. You didn't think that was at all clever? Um for a few minutes I thought it was interesting until the one question collapsed the entire artifice. Like the it all hinges on Ethan Hawke being a hermaphrodite and conceiving himself. Right. And that okay, time travel I can accept. A person appearing out of thin air i can't like what is it 20 30 minutes through the movie when he meets jane for the first time the movie suddenly becomes this weird kind of romantic drama for 20 minutes and and really kind of loses sight of the main plot to do this second movie which is the story of jane as a girl right and so that threw me off and then at the end, we don't know how the ending actually affected Ethan Hawke's character. We don't know what he did in the future. We don't know if he's predestined to do anything. So the whole idea that this movie has something philosophical to say also falls flat with me. Because it, they, they give two lines to it. They say, don't you think there's some things that are just meant to happen that we can't avoid? And it's like, oh, we've brought up the idea of predestination. But they don't do anything to discuss it. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's predestination in the in the sense of the usual discussion about predestination. It's a different definition based on this time paradox that they've invented. But I cannot see how anyone can call it clever. I like clever things. I cannot see how one could call this clever when the whole the whole thing hinges on something that is not possible. Like okay, so here's- I, I am I am intrigued by the by the paradox, by the time right. loop. But if the time loop could have never been started, then it's not interesting because it doesn't make sense. I do think that this movie is intriguing as far as the acting, as far as the directing, as far as the visuals. I think all of that is great. But I cannot call it clever, and I don't understand how you can. Well, because, again, like this is absolutely, positively something you've never seen before. And I think the thing that hinges on this is that predestination is a choice that we make. And that's what I like is, okay, so we all talk about like in the, in the concept of time travel, predestination being something that we have absolutely no control over, right? It is just something that's going to happen no matter what. But Ethan Hawke at many points in time had a choice, but he continued to decide to do the thing that he knew would lead to him. He knew that he couldn't kill himself. He, he knew that he wasn't going to end and, and destroy that, that loop. And he kept doing things over and over and over and over again to lead him to the point where he became 
the fizzle bomber, right? So the the the, the point where it becomes the most egregious is when he steals the baby from the nursery, right? That was the point where he was trying to decide whether or not he was going to go through with this whole thing. I don't think that that was in his decision. He was doing that because he wanted to create himself, herself, whoever it was, because they did a lot of other temporal work that saved a lot of other lives. That's that's, because he works for that organization. He's not doing it to save himself. I really feel like it's all about choices. It, and and the, the very first line of this movie is, if I could put the guy in front of you who destroyed your life, would you kill him? And it turns out to be you. It turns out to be you're the one who has control of your life. You're the one who gets to choose whether or not you are a good person or a bad person. And you have to choose who you're going to save, kill, um, stop and allow to continue, and that's what I found fascinating here is is that it turned out to be himself, and it was a it was a more of a uh, a focus in on us individually, personally, that we have control of our future, but oftentimes we feel like we just have to continue down the path that we feel like has been laid out for us. That's what I saw in this, and that's what I like so much about it. And then in the end, he kills himself, and he might have broken the loop. Okay. I mean, I understand you guys aren't willing to give that suspension of disbelief, but I don't think it's that crazy. Obviously, it's something that is a a literary um, device for us to begin to think about who is in charge of our destiny, who decides who lives and dies. It's us. Like, we're the ones who choose our future. And I thought that was awesome. But, okay. Well, I think you have... I think you have endowed it with a deeper meaning that it than it came to the table with. I think that the way you describe it isn't makes it sound not all that bad. I, I think as a movie it didn't it didn't raise those points properly. I honestly just enjoyed it. I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. I had no idea while I was watching the film in the middle of it where it was going to end, where it was gonna take me. I just had no idea. Afterwards I was like, man, that's actually really quite good kind of point it was making too that we're in control we are the makers of our own destination we're we decide where we go and who we become so well that's that's very inspiring i'm glad it 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 inspired you you're listening to the screeners podcast